Hi, I'm Tracy Aaron Smith, and welcome to this episode of Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello. Before we start talking about the festival, I, I, Solo Theater is a brand that is that is not just a festival, it's also the company. Yes, it is. Solo Theater is something that I started close to 13 years ago at Ryerson University through the Act Two Studio program. And it was really a gift from the gods. I was teaching a class there called Awakening the Creative Spirit. At the end of the class, I handed out my own feedback forms. They had some standard ones, but I brought some of my own and had them filled in and then slipped them to the artistic director, Vrenya Ivanovsky. And then she phoned me. I, I remember exactly where I was in my apartment because it was a phone call that changed my life. She phoned me and she said, I read the feedback forms and you're obviously very passionate about what you do. Pitch me any course and we will run it. And it was like, oh, you know, the, the heavens parted and this blank, creative blank check sort of came through the clouds. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, what's it going to be? And so I, I had like this creative, I guess, witch's cauldron that I put everything that I love into, which would include personal storytelling, theater, solo shows, Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, The Spiritual Quest, archetypes, really finding out who we are through our own stories and by listening to other people's stories. And then the name came to me, Solo Theater, that I spell S-O-U-L-O. And we ran the course there for the first time, and I've never looked back. It's been 13 years, and I've taught it, you know, from Vancouver to Tel Aviv to New York, San Francisco. So what's, uh, I'm curious now, how, how has that sort of evolved? It's been, it's been, what, what were things that you found along the way? I think I've gotten better. <laughs> I think <laughs> I've gotten better. I've gotten more direct, actually, I've noticed. I tend to be, when I'm working with people, you know, very positive and maybe sometimes dance around what needs to be said. That was a few years, that was a number of years ago. And now there's just no time for that. And I couch it in a way that I think that the individual that I'm dealing with can handle it. And some people can handle more directness than others. And then I just say what needs to be said. You know, I think you're holding back here. I don't believe this part. Have you thought about this? And then we're able to move forward faster. So it's really a, a creative and it's sort of creative and development and it's a whole process going on. It is a major, <laughs> major process because it's everything. I mean, the metaphor that I use is that I say at the beginning of any new session, we're going to go deep sea diving in your soul for a story. Or we could call it a fish since we're deep sea diving. And we're going to catch that fish and we're going to fillet it and we're going to season it and we're going to cook it, and then, and only then, we're going to serve it to the audience. And what I say is, I will not allow you to slap the audience across the face with a raw fish. <laughs> because yes. that is therapy, that is an AA meeting, and as theatrical as uh, AA meetings can be, and as dramatic as they can be, they're not necessarily great theater. So for me, the whole process is helping people excavate stories from their life, and then use a theatrical alchemy to make them worthy of the stage. And I do take them through the whole process. Mm -hmm. There is a final performance at the end. Right. So I'm a best friend, shoulder to cry on, person to laugh with at the pub after class, Sherpa, uh, <laughs> dramaturge, and uh, director. And I make sure it's very collaborative because I feel I've 
done my job, let's say there's a class of 10 people, and if each one of them gets up and does their 10 minute piece, and they're all so different, and they're all so that person, then I feel I've done my job of bringing their soul and their essence forward. So it's very collaborative. I'll co-direct it with them, and then we figure out the lights and the music and everything. And it's, I mean, like you're saying, you're tailoring your approach to every individual person. I mean, you get that, obviously, as a director working with different actors. Different actors need different things. But for different, you're working with different playwrights slash actors. And, exactly. And some of, the, some of the people I work with have been in the industry for 40 years. And some of them have never been on stage before in the same class. Wow. So it is mind-blowingly groovy how they <laughs> learn from each other. Mm. I taught a class that had, I think it was age 22 to, to 94. And actors, non-actors, a few hot comedians from Toronto. And the way they bonded like this wacky tribal family that you would sort of stumble upon in the woods in a Monty Python movie. But it worked. Right, and that's so interesting because as as much as they are starting different places, it sounds like there is sort of a similar introspective journey that they're all going on. A hundred percent. And what's cool is that everyone sort of, if, if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, everyone hits the low point at a different point, hopefully, or else I'm in trouble. <laughs> but what's cool is that I watch them help each other. Like, I, I'm very involved in the class, of course, but I leave a lot of space for people to figure stuff out themselves and to help each other. One of the things I talk about in class is that when somebody else is working, and by working I mean either trying out a character or reading a piece, I ask the other students to do what I call full body listening. Like don't be working on your own stuff, don't just be listening with your mind, center your body and really receive what they're sharing on every level. And there's a practical reason for this, because I've seen this time and time again. You don't know who in the class an idea is going to land on that's going to be the killer idea for your show. And if people aren't open and paying attention to the work that's being done, they can't receive that magic idea for you. And that's why doing this work, which is solo work, which is done with one person, but doing it in a group just, you know, activates everybody and takes them, I think, to a level they may not get to on their own. There really is no such thing as a one-person show. It does not exist. I mean, I know a couple of performers that direct themselves, their lights up, are lights up, lights down, and they tour the country and make a lot of money. So those people are on their own. But for the 99.5% others, they're working with a team. And when you go through this process in a class, it becomes exactly like a cast. With the class, we go through the whole process together. So it's the same like a table read and then rehearsal and then opening night jitters and, and reviews and all that stuff. And at the end of the class showing, we have what I call an opening and closing night party right after. And it's a very important part of the process. We move the party from the Red Sandcastle Theater to the Velvet Pub, which is 30 feet past. <laughs> it's just You just walk past Value Village and turn left. And that's where the performers, we all go together and their family and friends come. Because it's it's a celebration of this, you know, soul mountain that they've just actually climbed because every class, almost without fail, someone will p pull me aside. It's usually in week six or seven of a 10-week course. And I can tell from the look in their eye what's coming. And they'll say, Trace, you know, can I talk to you for a sec? And I say, sure, sure, you know, what's up? And then they say, you know, it's not you. Really, it's not you. I just, I don't think I can do it. It's, it's too hard. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm really sorry. And I do what I, I practice what I call radical empathy. 
And I say, I know, I totally get it. This stuff's really hard. No problem. No problem. And I put my arm around them and I walk them back into class. So it's all about, you know, it's, it's they go on their own hero's journey creating a show about their hero's journey in their life. You face demons of my stories aren't important. I don't have any stories. Who wants to hear my stories? It's been done before. So you face all those demons. I'm not good enough. And then hopefully, you know, you work enough on it and you come out the other side with something that you're proud of. I guess I guess you take, I'm assuming, yeah. based on your sort of approach, generally mm -hmm. you're taking a lot of a sort of autobiographical mm -hmm. look at these people as opposed to them necessarily doing a, a character outside themselves. Well, it's funny because they work together. So I would say about, it's an 80-20 split. I, I'd say about 80% of our programming is autobiographical and 20% is made up, let's say. Um, but within the autobiographical, there's so much room for fantasy sequences and for you to play characters from your own life that actually existed, that didn't exist, you know. So I consider something autobiographical as long as its roots are based in your life. Working with these creators slash performers, mm -hmm. are there common sort of pitfalls and things that you find, that you found in your time doing it? that most people bump up against in in the process. I mean, I'm sure people, like not everyone is digging into their id, or, you know, <laughs> digging into their their darkest selves uh -huh. as they as they do this stuff. So I'm I'm curious, like, is there, do you find yourself pushing people or is it just an, the nature of people that approach a one person show that they, they wanna go there? I think there is a certain type of person that's drawn to this work. But in terms of, it's a really good way to put it in terms of pushing people. What I, what I do do is that if I'm finding that a piece has, is too much fluff, then I will help them find the fiber. And if I'm finding something's too much, too fibrous, I'll help them find the fluff. So sometimes I work with a number of stand-up comedians come to my class because they want to showcase their work and they just think they're going to do a, you know, a shtick. light, a shtick, exactly. Right. And I rip them of their shtick. No, I don't. <laughs> but I, um, but I guess I, I sort of say to them, look, you're hilarious. It's a given. Now, can we just put that aside and, and go a little bit deeper? I promise you we'll bring it back. And I, I share with them the power that, that they will experience when they move an audience as well as make them laugh. Because it's, and, and you get a different kind of fan coming up, up to you when you've moved them versus when someone's just like, you're so hilarious. When, when they come up to you and say, oh my gosh, that show hit me right here. And I was laughing and crying at the same time. It's just a, for me, it's a, a, um, a more profound experience. Comedy is awesome and very important, but this work is a little bit more of, of integrating the deep with the laughter. I feel like there is mm -hmm. a perception mm -hmm. out there of the, oh, hey, I didn't see you there kind of feeling with, and everybody's been to a horrible one-person show <laughs> at some point. But there are a lot that are that are transcendent, mm -hmm. that, that do something different. And I mean, even if they aren't doing something different, there's there's things that resonate. And there is that, you know, again, that, uh, that Joseph Campbell kind of, everyone can relate to some aspect of a relationship with a family member or whatever it may be. But it's, it's, I feel like it's interesting to have people who are, who are jumping into this, mm -hmm. uh, 
and 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 there there is like how how do you work with I guess how do you work with people's perceptions of what a one person show is? Well, we talk about it at the beginning. You know, I say, um, what are some of your favorite one person shows? Because you need to find out what's the right mode of expression for that person. Are they going to be Spalding Gray and sit at a table with a, you know, a pen and a glass of water? Are they going to be, um, someone running around with different hats and coats and doing it that way? And you, if you put someone into the wrong mode of expression, it's going to feel wrong to them and to the audience. But when it's aligned, when you, when they clarify their story, plus they find the right mode in which to tell it, then it's magical. A good solo show has everything that a good play has. You have to think about driving the story. You have to think about every character's motivation. Even if you're recreating a scene from your own life, you have to think about what's the conflict and why. One of the reasons that it's therapeutic, and I'll share some secrets with you, is that as the creator, as the writer of this play, you have to put yourself in the shoes of whatever character you're writing about. So the ex that you're ticked off with or the spouse that you had a fight with or that the mother or father you, that you resent, you have to write their lines. So if you're really doing your job as a creator, you're going to step into that being momentarily and write from that place. Because if you don't authentically shift into that other perspective, the scene's going to fall flat because it's going to feel like it's written by the same voice. So there's something therapeutic about transporting yourself into the perspective of another person that gives you an empathy and compassion that you might not have had before you did it. There's a balance that needs to be struck between the personal and the universal. And if you have something that's too personal, it's going to sound like a plain diary reading and um, we're not going to feel a part of it as an audience. And if you have something that's universal, it's going to feel too vague. So it's really, I call it the universals. It's about weaving the personal and the universal together so that I know it's your story, but I'm also thinking about my own life and I'm, I'm relating from the audience because you know what your themes are and you've, you've drawn out what's universal about your specific story. Do you find that it's, I mean, obviously you know what you're doing and you've been doing it for a long time, but I'm curious about having this setting of that many people working on solo shows, do people get pulled into someone else's voice or someone else's mode uh, just based on, you know, I mean, like you're saying, they get to see each other and they mm -hmm. have those mm -hmm. moments of realization. Mm -hmm. But do you find that they're, they're, if somebody is particularly charismatic or if they have a story that's, that's you know, they've hit magma, you know? Yes. What does happen, it's very natural, is comparison. People, and, and the analogy I use for this is that I've, I think of each participant as a popcorn kernel. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> at the bottom of a big pot. And I am, we are shaking this pot together over the heat. And each of them are going to pop at different times. So if your neighbor is hitting magma or is popping, be calm. It will happen to you. Um, and the other thing I say is if we spend too much time looking down the beach at other people's bonfires and how much they're, you know, exploding and popping and, and all sparkly, you're not blowing on your own. Uh, that's a weird metaphor, but. <laughs> no, no, it's building a fire. It's great. But exactly. It's like, so, so it, this work is, you know, you have to focus on what you're doing because if you spend too much time looking around and comparing, your own fire goes out. 
It's very natural to compare. Right. No, and and it's in this setting where everybody's working, so you know, it's sort of it's a weird sort of. I guess I guess we are naturally drawn as humans to. Yeah. Sympathize and empathize and get pulled into somebody else's story. Yeah, for sure. And what's cool for me is that as an instructor, a guide for this work, is on a break to watch them go up to each other and say, I had an idea. And I, I say, I ask them to ask permission to give an idea. So I say, I suggest that they say, I have an idea for you. Would you like to hear it? Because sometimes it can be overwhelming if everyone's like, here's what you should do and you should do this. Right. And you're like, oh, please. But if it's done respectfully and say, I have an idea, would you like to hear it? And then I get to watch them give each other these, you know, people are so generous. They really, because they've, they fall in love a little bit with each person in the class, because how can you not? Mm -hmm. It's so vulnerable and magical that they want to watch everyone pop and be amazing. So when you're... Walking this tightrope between the what, the universal universals. Do you find that most people are able to straddle that with with enough sort of coaxing, or because it sounds like it, it would it would either go to you know a flight of fancy place or it, it's it's I mean basically I'm just saying that sounds like it's quite the tightrope <laughs> to walk. It is. Um, what's cool is that you have five to ten other minds in the room. So I will, after we've been working for a while, I'll go around and say, okay, everyone, what do you think Bob's themes are that are emerging? What do you think Sue's themes are? So you have this like think tank at your disposal because sometimes we're so immersed in the work and, and what we're creating that you can't, you, you need someone on the outside to say, oh, your theme is oppression or your theme is war or your theme is feminism for sure or sex or whatever it is. And it helps to have that outside eye. We also do a similar um, exercise in terms of telling people what kind of character they are. Because with an autobiographical solo show, you're the hero. So you better figure out who you are. <laughs> or or else it just makes your storytelling much easier to understand what kind of character you are. Which is a lot of fun to figure that out. You know, foibles and all. Strengths, superpowers, foibles. Do you find that people drawn to doing this kind of work are generally, you know, traditional theater people? Or, you know, I mean, obviously you've mentioned uh, stand-up comedians as well who are used to being by themselves on a stage. And, I mean, obviously there are a lot of theater people drawn to this. What other sort of paths have you found people coming from to solo oh, theater? Well, it is, it, I'd say it's about a 50-50 mix where I get actors and non-actors. So some are people that have hit a stage in their life where they always wanted to be on stage. And now, you know, they're, they're in their 50s or 60s and now's the time. Or people that that never even considered it. And then either they came and saw a class show um, because it's hard to explain what they what these pieces are like until you see them. It's a bit of a black box, pardon the pun, but you know, until you sit in the audience and really watch, you know, actors and non-actors bear their soul in a hilarious, moving way, you don't fully get it. You, you need to taste it. Um, so friends and family will come and watch their friend or family in a show, and then I'll get an email. My sister, my brother, my best friend, and I'd like to, I think I'd like to take your class. So they see it and they see, oh my gosh, it's possible. I know someone who did it. It was so amazing. Um, and then they watch their loved one have new fans come up to them. You know, who doesn't want, you know, they're a star for a night. Um, yeah, so people come to it different ways.
have you found a lot of people then taking it on, continuing to develop it? And like, I mean, I, I'm sure the the more theatrically minded are, but do you find people that weren't didn't necessarily come from a theatrical background? continue to work with it or do yeah. you think it's a sort of end in and of itself no it's interesting some some theater people will stop with the 10 minutes um and that's enough for them and some people who aren't theater people will be like oh my gosh i like this and it's a much bigger jump to go from nothing to 10 minutes than it is from 10 to 60. the big mountain climb is zero to 10 minutes once you've got your 10 you can you know what you're doing a little bit you've, you're riding the bike already so you can start to add to it and I've had um, performers go on to create full-length shows and tour them to New York and Edinburgh and across Canada, and that's pretty rewarding. All right. Well, so that's that's <laughs> what this is all built on, and, and yeah. we've got the second Solo Theater Festival mm-hmm. coming up now. At what if this is the second one, and there's been this has been a 13-year mm-hmm. journey here. <laughs> What uh, what happened that this turned into a festival? Okay, that's a super question. Thank you. So, yeah. So here I was building the work that I do and teaching 10-week courses and four-day intensives in San Francisco and New York and Tel Aviv. And what I noticed was that we were starting to get a repeat audience. So each time I had a class showing, the mm. same people would show up, whether they were fans of the work or they'd done the class themselves once, twice, or three times. And I thought, okay, this community is growing. People, people's souls are being fed and enriched and entertained by this work. So what can we do to take it to the next level? It was, it was all, for me, it was all about growing the family. And then the idea just came, festival, that's what's next. That's how we make it bigger. And so my goal was to curate it to bring the best solo shows that I could find to the Red Sandcastle Theater in Leslieville and also have, you know, half of it focused on the main stage shows and half on workshops and panels with pros and experts who can show you how to do it yourself. So then tell me a bit about this second festival specifically. Okay, so this second festival, 2014, we are bringing our opening night performer, David Harrell, up from New York City. I saw his show at the All for One Festival in the fall and thought it was very special. He's a, a very talented actor, he's a professional actor who happens to have been born without a right hand. And his show is about what it was like to grow up that way, what it was like for his parents to deal with this is the baby that they got. And it's done with such heart and courage and hilarity. You know, he has what he calls his nub and he gives it a character. And so, and it sounds like Mr. T. So he talks to his, what he calls his nub and it answers him as Mr. T. And it's like a fairy godfather character. And I was just swept away with that show. So that's the only one that we reached out to for our opening night. And everything else was people applied to be in the festival. And we had, and everyone else is local actually. All the other performers are from Toronto. You've uh, mentioned your opening night's uh, performer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of the other people that are working on this festival. Okay, so I'm going to talk a bit about the panels and workshops. Sure. The very first speaker is Canada's own Linda Griffiths, who has a phenomenal uh, career in Canadian theatre and is a multi-award winner. And she has created five solo shows. So, so, and some of them are autobiographical and some of them aren't. And she's going to be giving a talk about that on Friday, May 23rd at 5 p.m. And then after, I'm going to facilitate a Q&A with the audience. So I've talked to some theater people because anyone in theater or even the general public know who Linda is. 
So they're excited to hear the behind the scenes because she had a breakout hit with Maggie and Pierre back in the day. And what she experienced with that, she was telling me, is the crossover of where politics meets theater. And she said when she was touring that show, I don't know if it might have been in Edmonton, they, she literally held a press conference. I mean, there was so much interest in that piece that she was sitting at a mic and every you know media outlet was there and she spoke to all of them just to save time. So I think it's really neat for solo performers to hear about the power of overlapping their show with a cause, politics, just something so that it reaches an even wider audience. Also, then after that, we have a great uh, panel and, and workshop called Selling Your Solo. And that's spelled S-O-L-O. So it's about selling your solo show. And that's with Toronto networking expert Marsha Shander and Deborah Bennett and myself. So Marsha runs True Stories Told Live, which is a very popular storytelling night. And she's also an expert in helping people in the arts network. So her tagline is networking that's actually fun. So she's going to be talking about getting over your fear of networking and how to connect with people. And Deborah Bennett used to work, um, do publicity and marketing for Elgin Winter Garden and TBO and that sort of thing. So she's going to be talking about marketing. And I will be there to talk about solo shows specifically and how to brand it and, and market your piece. And I'm doing an introductory workshop, and that's on the Sunday from 1 to 2.30. So if you're curious about this work at all, that's a really good one to come to. And Deb Filler, who is a Toronto-based solo performer, originally from New Zealand, had a hit solo show a few years ago called Punch Me in the Stomach, which was phenomenal, about growing up with her father, who was a Holocaust survivor, which they turned into a feature film, a one-woman feature film, which was amazing. So she's going to teach a two-hour workshop, and her topic is using humor with our darker tales. So it's like, how do you bring to the stage, you know, people have lived through some pretty intense things, as we both know. So how do you share that on stage without traumatizing or losing your audience? So she's going to talk about that. So this year we're very excited to be in a co-presenting relationship with Crow's Theatre and their very exciting East End performance crawl. So Crows um, is going to be having their big theater built in the East End that's happening in 2015. And as a way for the uh, neighborhood to get to know them, they're doing a site-specific solo festival at the same time as ours. So we're all coming together and doing it together. So there's a lot of things going on, and theirs is from May 21st to June 1st, and ours is within that from May 22nd to May 25th. So for more information about their festival and ours, which is part of it, you can go to crowstheater.com um, and also our website, which is solo, S-O-U-L-O dot C-A. The Solo Theater Festival, May 22nd to 25th at Red Sandcastle Theater. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.